we're going to continue in our teaching series called Seven, called Seven. And so, yeah, like Pastor Chris or one of your campus pastors probably said, we are looking at the different seven letters in the book of Revelation. And so, man, we are just going to jump right in. And these, these churches or these letters that you're looking at are really a picture that you'll see. Uh, and you'll find one of these churches that can really match any place in history. We actually fit into one of these churches ourselves, and so that's what we're going to look, look at, and we're going to try to find the differences in these churches, and we're going to look and kind of compare ourselves and let the, the letter be the mirror to us and go, you know what, yeah, maybe we have some things that we need to change. Maybe there's some things that maybe we're really doing well. Did you know that there's no perfect church? There's no perfect church. Why? Because it's full of imperfect people. Very good. It's full of imperfect people, but we serve a perfect all right, man, I love it. You guys are with me. You are hanging out with me, and I love it. And so in every letter to his church, Jesus focuses on the spiritual structure of the church. And so he, this, is the, this is his heart, and he says this. These are the things you're doing really well, right? We all like to be encouraged. Anybody like to be encouraged? Yeah, we like to be encouraged. And then he also brings some, you know, conviction of, hey, these are the things that maybe you need to change, right? Do you have some things in your life that you need to change, right? Okay, just ask your spouse. They probably will say yes, Right? And then there's also, Jesus says there's a reward that you'll receive if you'll make these changes, if you'll do that. Or there is definitely, this is the price that you'll pay if you don't make this shift. And there'll be some, maybe some restructuring or some a punishment that comes. So today we're going to look at the fourth church in this series. We're looking at the fourth church called the Church of Thyatira. So the, th the Church of Thyatira. So some things that you need to know about this church. It's the smallest of the seven churches addressed in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Yet Jesus devotes his longest letter to it. So that's got to tell you a little bit about something. So a little bit about the, the city of Thyatira is this. It's a manufacturing and trade community. It's, it's a blue-collared kind of community. And they had these trade guilds or unions where if you were a part of, maybe you were a carpenter, a dyer, maybe you were a potter, a tanner, a robe maker, a tent maker, metal worker, bronze smith, leather worker. If you were in one of those trades, you wanted to be a part of one of the guilds. You wanted to be a part of the union. There were special rewards that, were, that would come to you if you were a part of the guild, a part of this community. There was status that came. There were different types of groups of status that came with the different guilds. And so there might have been a couple of different guilds that represented the potters. But you wanted to be a part of the most elite one, maybe. And that demonstrated the, the status in the community. It also, you received support by getting discounts on material. If you were a part of a certain guild, then there were special rewards or discounts that came. Or here's the thing, I don't know about you, but maybe you found out that the community of Thyatira was, was going to build this new area, a new development was going to come. Your guild found out and said, hey, we, guys and gals, we need to get our quotes done. We need to get them into the managers of the city so that we can get these. And so there was a status, there was finances that would come. And to be a part of the guild was to be a part of the club. You were part of the club. If you weren't a part of the guild, you were left out, and you were left out to fend for yourself, and it's really no different today. You would have found different brands like Gucci and Thyatira. You'd have found Gucci, Buckle, Harley-Davidson, Yamaha. Okay, motorcycle people know. DeWalt, Milwaukee, Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, Nike, Adidas. You would have found these different brands, and these people you would have had to choose, hey, am I going to affiliate myself with these folks, or am I not? There was the decision, maybe some of the things that you believed in, you're like, yeah, these people are more like my people. I would want to be a part of this guild and not so much a part of this. You would have had to pick your brand 
and group, and then that would uh, have identified your status. With each guild, though, there were events and celebrations. There was fine whining and dining that was taking place. All members had to attend these parties. And there was also, maybe you got the cap if you're a part of the party. Maybe you got the t-shirt. Maybe you got the patch. I don't know what it was, but there was an eliteness that you would walk around with like, man, there's a status of like, oh, he or she's a part of that group. Man, I need to be a part of that. But here was the problem. The problem was that were these guilds, they were dedicated to pagan gods. They would worship these pagan gods. They wanted to be elitists. You have the Greek era going on, and so you have this worship of idols, and there's these festivals, and there's parties, and the food that they're serving is, is being offered to different gods throughout the year, and there's, actual, there's acts of sexual perversion, and there's all of this celebratory stuff that's going on, and if you were a part of the guild, guess what? You were pressured into participating. You had to make a choice, like, hey, are you going to do this? And that's what was really going on in the church of Thyatira. The believers were, being fa- they were having to face and navigate how to follow Jesus in a world that lived for itself and worshipped pleasure. If you wanted to live for Jesus in Thyatira, it was going to cost you something. Maybe your reputation, your business, financial gain, and other earthly pleasures. And if you had kids, if you weren't a part of the guild, maybe your kids weren't a part of the cool club. You know what I'm saying? They didn't get to go to that elite school or whatever that might look like. And so that's what it looked like to live in Thyatira and try to be a part of the church of Thyatira. It's making this decision of how am I going to navigate being a follower of Jesus, yet being tempted, being told, hey, this is what it takes to provide for my family, to be somebody in this community. So in every letter, Jesus reveals a little picture of who he is. So let's take a look at the letter to the church of Thyatira. It starts with Jesus. In Revelations 2.18, it says this. This is the message from the Son of God whose eyes are like flames of fires, whose feet are like polished bronze. Well, guess what? This is not the introduction to the letter that this church wanted. The church had heard other introductions from Jesus to the other churches, but he, this is what they heard. Man, this was not the introduction they want. This is the only place in Revelation that Jesus calls himself the Son of God. So what is he doing? He's coming out, and boom, he's just coming at them, and he's stating his authority. He's stating his authority because at the time, Apollo was the chief deity worshipped in Thyatira and was called the son of the chief god Zeus. And Jesus right away just comes and says, you know what, nope, I, there's only one God and there's only one son of God and it is I. So Jesus just comes right out and says, he's just stating his authority. It's like when your parents used to call you by your, your first, middle, and last name. They stated their authority, correct? You know what I'm talking about? Anytime that ever happened to me, it was never a good thing. I didn't know necessarily what was coming, but I knew, okay, this is not going to be good. Jesus states his authority, comes right out, I'm the son of God. Jesus goes on to describe his eyes with fire. He's, talking about, he's not talking about a romantic stare with eyes of deep passion. No, he's bringing the eyes that can pierce the facade the disguises, the postures, the pretensions of his people, he gets right to the heart of what they're doing. Here's the thing you need to know about Jesus. Jesus sees all and knows all. Nothing is hidden from the Lord. And that's what he's stating. He's coming out and saying, I'm seeing your hearts. I'm seeing what you're doing. And I get it. Our culture does not particularly like the idea of someone looking at us with judgment. But Jesus' penetrating gaze is this. It's ultimately to bring out the best in you, not to condemn you. Come on, somebody. That's good. Jesus' ultimate goal is always to bring out the best in you, not to condemn you. 
So for Jesus to bring out the best in you, he has to be what? He has to be a judge. He has to be a judge, a just judge. Think about it in raising your kids. I don't have any kids. I have Labrador retrievers that I like to train, okay? But I know this. No two kids are alike. No two dogs are alike, right? And your kids are different in raising them. One, you can just give them the, the, the death stare, and they're just like, ah! Others of them, it's like, they still don't get it. Like, you're bringing out the two-by-four. Like, what am I doing? I get phone calls from parents like, Pastor Nate, how do I deal with this child? I'm like, good question. Let me see. Let's go to the Word of God. No. But the same thing. Like, you get it. Each of us are different. And how the Lord responds to each and every one of us is a little unique and different. Why? Because he's created us unique. Amen, somebody? That's a good thing. And so Jesus, he brings this just judge heart into everything he does. He's been given the authority to be a just judge. Why? Because Father God, John 5, says this, verse 24 and verse 27. It says this, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. Today, you can have eternal life by putting your faith and hope and trust in Jesus, that God sent his son, Jesus, to this earth to die on a cross, not just to stay there, but to rise again to overcome sin and death. Amen? That, that, that's where it starts. They will never be condemned for their sins if you put your faith and trust and hope in Jesus. And if you do, they've already passed from death. Not a physical death, but a spiritual death to life. And in verse 27, and he, God, has given Jesus authority to judge everyone because he is the son of man. So Jesus has all authority to be a just judge. That means he is fair in his judgment and he's kind and loving. Come on, somebody, that's good news. That's good news. When I wrote this, I felt myself kind of cringe though. When I thought about that, he's a just judge. Why did I cringe? Because I'm like, I'm not in control. He is. He knows what I deserve. I might think I deserve something a little bit different, but he knows ultimately what I deserve. So, all of you in North Platte, go to 1809 East D. It's where I grew up. I remember in seventh grade, I'd went to a garage sale and I got a golf club, a old wooden driver. Yeah, you know where this story's going, right? So here I am, I'm thinking, man, I'm doing the whole Babe Ruth point. I'm actually doing the old Tiger-esque, you know, point. Like, I'm going to crank this ball down a street. It's an orange ball, by the way. You got to get the color right, you know. It's an orange ball, and I'm going to drive this ball I'm seventh grade. I'm going to drive it right down the middle of the street. There's cars on both sides of the street. There are nice people with nice houses on both sides of the street. No one's outside. It's somewhere. I think I have a good idea. I think, man, I'm just God. I'm God's gift to golf. I'm going to hit this ball straight. So guess what? I'm up there limbering up. Woo, yeah. I'm limbering up. I tee up the ball. I'm getting ready. Yep. I go smack that ball. And guess what? Like every bad golfer, you have a nice slice. I slice that ball, and it hits off the curb and takes a nice left. Two houses down is all the farther I got it, but it went right through the neighbor's window. <laughs> Nobody's outside. Nobody knows what's going on. Nobody sees it, and so I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? I grew up in a great, with great parents, and they said, you know, they just said, if, you're, if you do something, if you make a mistake, it's much easier and much better if you just come and tell the truth. Don't lie about it. You know, sometimes you'll get grace given to you, and uh, the punishment might be less. So I'm like, okay, so guess what I'm doing? I'm just strolling by the neighbor's house, and I'm looking over like nobody heard nothing, nobody saw nothing, nobody's home. But guess what? I can see that orange ball through the first pane of glass stuck in the second one. <laughs> so I turn around, come back to the street. I'm just up for a stroll. 
1809 East D, just cruising down this block. I come back to my house. My mom's like, what's going on? She knew. <laughs> I'm like, mom, I broke the neighbor's window. I hit a golf ball through it. She said, what are you going to do about it? I said, I probably need to go knock on the door and tell the truth. That's a good place to start. I think you should go do that. So what do I do? I, I walk back down the street. I walk up to the neighbor's house. I can see through, you know, through the door and through the, you know, th- and there's a window and I can still see the lady making spaghetti at the oven. I knock on the door. She comes out. I said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I broke your, I broke your window. I hit a golf ball. Come over here. You can see the orange golf ball right here in your window. I said, you know, please send me the bill. Please let me know how much it's going to cost. I'll pay for it. It's no big deal. I'll take care of it. Okay, so I, being a smart seventh grader, I'm like, okay, I have a paper route. I got to figure out how much thing, this thing's going to cost. So I go, this is before Google. So I go back and I, I ask somebody and I'm like, hey, can you, can you tell me how much might this, this window might cost? Oh, it'll be about $200. I'm like, 200 bucks? That's okay. I can do that. That's two months worth, you know, in delivering papers, but I can do that. A few days later, I get a, I get the bill. The lady comes and said, here's the bill for the repaired window. $450. <laughs> I said, I did the right thing. Like 200 to 450, what, what happened? Because I grew up in a house where you just repaired things yourself. Like you would go and take out the window. You'd take it down to the window shop. They would repair it. You'd take it back. You would put it back in. Oh, no, not these neighbors. <laughs> no. They had the window people come right out, repair it, take it out, replace it right there on the spot, and makes the price go from here to blue. <laughs> Here's the thing. If it had only been $200... I might have been stupid enough to hit another golf ball down the street. But $450, I learned my lesson, boy. I was like, I am not doing that ever again. God's a just judge. He knows what we deserve. Sometimes we think we know what we deserve, but he knows what's best. Amen? So if he brings it, if he's, if he's using, if we can go back to the analogy, if he's calling you out by your first, middle, and last name, you don't have to be afraid. But just respond with a heart, God, here I am, I'm listening. Because he's speaking to you. He has something better. He has the best for you if you'll listen to him, if you'll respond to him. So despite Jesus' stern opening to the letter, let's listen to hear what Jesus says the church is doing well. Chapter, verse 19, I know all the things you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. See, what Jesus is really doing, he's commending them for their holiness. Holiness is this, simply living like God. He's saying, very good job. You're doing all these things, and you're even improving. And here's the thing, though. If you're looking at the, if, when I looked in the Greek this week, it's not by happenstance that you see Jesus list love first over the rest of the areas. Anytime in the Greek where you see something toward, a word towards the front of the sentence, it means they're putting more of an emphasis It's more serious, like, hey, you need to focus on this. And so the emphasis was on their growth in love. In fact, they're the only church that Jesus commends in the seven churches for having love. He says, man, you guys know how to love people. You guys are doing an amazing job. It's incredible. Why is the emphasis on this of love? Because God is? God is love, right? 1 John 4, 8 says this, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for for God is love. See, love is at the center of who he is. Everything God does he does from love. Therefore, loving like God stand, or stands at the center of being like him. Think about it. Love should be your motivator, not happiness. Love should be your motivator, not happiness. Just say the word love. Love. Do you feel the weight of love? 
There's something to love. Whether it's a friendship relationship, a romantic relationship, parent to, to you know, kids relationship, there's something about love that's weighty because you know that it's, there's happiness, but yet there's also like authority to like, hey, I got to do my best to, to help lead and guide. Say happiness. Happiness, right? It just feels light. Come on, somebody. It just, it's, it's just self-seeking. It's all about self. Love is not self-seeking. Happiness is. Here's the thing about love. Love will end your road rage. Happiness says drive them off the road, right? <laughs> love will cause you to stop gossiping in your own life and others' life. Happiness will say they deserve it. Bring it on, baby, right? Love will cause you to forgive one another and teach others to forgive. Happiness says I just hope they die. <laughs> A little harsh. Love compels you to give generously. Happiness says eh, I'll keep my money. Thank you very much. Love will keep you from cheating on your spouse. I think you catch my drift. You know what I'm saying? Love has a weight to it. Love will transform and change you. The love of the Father transforms and takes you from the old person to a new person. Come on, somebody. It will transform you. It will change you. In fact, love will even keep you from harming yourself. Man, love will keep you. When you begin to look at the true image of God's love and grace and mercy on your life and who he calls you are that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, it will begin to change what maybe what other people have said about you. You'll no longer be, be listening or believing the lie, but you'll be like, you know what? I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and God does not make junk. And it's that love that will keep you from harming yourself. And when God sees you loving others, he sees you acting in a way that he would act, and it reminds him of himself when we walk in love with those around us, I imagine God thinking, at a boy or at a girl, you're just like your dad. I'm a cologne wearer. I like cologne. Some of you are not. Maybe you should become. I don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I love cologne. Where did I get it from? My dad. My dad always smelled good. He always had cologne. And I remember growing up as a little kid, I'd be like, hey, can I get a spritz of that? Or can I get a dab of that? Ah! Like, you know, the Macaulay Culkin. Ah! Home Alone. I remember doing that, and I remember when I got my first cologne, and everybody else did too because they smelled me coming from a mile away. <laughs> but somebody asked one day, like, man, where did you learn to wear cologne? I was like, I'm just like my dad. What if it was said of you, when you act in love, when you walk in faith, when you are a person of perseverance, man, that somebody would say, man, they're just like their heavenly father. Man, what would that look like if somebody said that of you? There's traits that you have that you're just like your father, and some of you are like, I'm never going to be like my father or my mother or whoever else you don't want to be like. But what if it was said of us, man, he's just like, or she is just like their father God. So do you desire holiness? The members of the church of Tyre did, and they were commended for it. That's something that we want to model. That's something that we want to emulate. We want to be imitators of God's word. So today, are you growing in holiness? Today, anybody else waiting for the but in the letter? Because the but is coming right here. Jesus brings up something that they need to change in the letter of Thyatira. Verses 20 through 23, it says this, But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. 
Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from their evil deeds. I will strike her, strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. Now, obviously, this lady's name was not Jezebel. No one would name their child that. That is a bad name. That name is not going to make the top 10 list of like popular names. You know what I'm saying? But Jezebel is a symbolic name. It represents the despicable woman from 1 Kings chapter 16. You can go to 1 Kings chapter 16 and read all about it. But what happened was is there was King Ahab. He was one of the evilest kings that was reigning in Israel. He married Jezebel. And Ahab began to tolerate idol worship of Baal. They began to take their food and they began to offer it to Baal. They began to build these poles and begin to build, you know, just all the idols of worship. So Jezebel led people to commit adultery, sexual immorality, and to offer their foods to idols then in 1 Kings. And the lady was doing the same in the church of Thyatira. So Jesus is just bringing the hammer. This is the, this is the one complaint that Jesus says that he has. You tolerated Jezebel. Remember the church of Thyatira, though, their emphasis was on what? It was love. They, they were this church of that, hey, we want to be known for our love. So is it possible that they felt like, man, you know what? It's, we're not going to be loving if we're, very, if we're confrontational to this woman. Maybe they, they felt like, man, you know what? It's God's job to judge. It's not my job to judge. And so I'm just going to love this woman. The word tolerate in the Greek means to forgive. They likely, the church likely made an excuse for what they should have not forgiven her for. They kept on continuing to forgive her, but the scripture says she did not want to repent. She did not want to be forgiven. The, the church might have said, well, you know, what if others in the community find out that we've confronted her, or we asked her to leave? We won't be known as the loving church. There was all these externals of like, what is everybody going to think about us? Because we are a church of love. We are known in the community. Jesus sees our love. Maybe the church thought, we have to stay relevant. We gotta stay relevant, you know, we gotta stay modern. We gotta have, we gotta be connecting with our culture the way that we do. And here's the thing: the Bible is already relevant. It's pure and relevant because of a holy God. Anytime that we think we have to make the Bible or church relevant, we make it less about a holy God and more about self and worldly pleasures. That, that's the problem with this, this drift. Pastor Jeff even brought it up last week. When we begin to drift into, man, i got to be culturally relevant. Man, you've just lost all your foundation. You lost the gospel. The, wa- the gospel becomes watered down. It's likely that the church made excuses. She isn't hurting anyone. And what we're doing isn't sin. They likely redefined what sin is, and they justified their actions. The church, they ended up erring on the side of love. In a watered-down gospel, it says it's better to ask for forgiveness later than hold God's standard of biblical living. Man, this is the thing, church. Ignoring God's word and believing that God is only forgiving or that a loving God will not punish people for a lifestyle of sin is wrong. It's wrong. We don't get to set the standards. God is the just judge who sets the standards. Come on, somebody. It's good. There are some things in your life, there's some things in my life that you, we know that we've tolerated too long. Some things that are just beginning to overcome and you're like, man, how did I get so far off? Or maybe you're, rec- you're recognizing even now, you're like, man, this thing right here, man, if I continue to let this tolerate, this can really derail everything. There are many lifestyles, issues, relationship issues, beliefs, and behaviors that Christians are turning a blind to, but God is not. 
Some in the church of Thyatira, they thought, you know what? I need to provide for my family. Man, I, I got to conform. I got to be a part of this guild. Some of the people had the FOMO, the fear of missing out. The lie was God won't provide like the guild can. Have you heard that? That's in our culture. If you're not a part, you're not cool. You're not an influencer unless you do this, young people, on social media. There's all this pull. This letter to Thyatira is for us, the church of today. i got to tell you this. I'm going to be straight with you. There's so much joy and peace and fulfillment in serving Jesus. There's so much joy, peace, and fulfillment in serving Jesus, yet it's trying. Why? Because it takes faith to please God. Faith to trust that God's principles are greater than the ways of this world. Come on, somebody. It's, it's trying because it takes faith to go, you know what? Despite what I see, despite what I'm hearing, you watch the news, people. Despite what you're hearing and what you're seeing, do you have this faith that goes, you know what? God is in control still, and I can trust his ways. So today, search your heart. Are you making a tolerance that you think is acceptable, but God blatantly goes, man, that's against my word. Have you lost faith in trusting God and his way over the ways of the world? If so, today is your moment to repent and bring yourself before the Lord. Don't be like Jezebel. She was judged harshly because she didn't have a heart that said, you know what, I need to repent, I need to change my ways. But in the text, it does say that there were others who were involved with Jezebel who had a repentant heart, and they found grace, forgiveness, and freedom. That's what you can find today. Grace, forgiveness, and freedom. So when we repent and remain faithful, Jesus promised us this reward. So here's the reward. Verses 26 through 28. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my father, and I will also give them the morning star. I love this. Jesus totally knew his audience. In Thyatira, there was this big pottery guild. And some of the people in the church, they were the faithful ones who were saying, you know what? We're not going to be a part of this guild. We're going to figure out, we're going to trust the Lord. We're not going to do this on our own. We're not going to participate in this idolatry. We're not going to participate in eating of this, of the food that's been given to the idols. We're not going to participate in the sexual immorality and the perversion and all that's going on. And so there was these people that set themselves apart. And Jesus comes in and he says this, and he begins to, he says, you know what? I know that I get this. I know that you feel overlooked and you feel marginalized. You feel like the minority. But Jesus says this to them, I will give you authority. The same authority that the Father has given me to rule over the nations, I will give to you. So do not be afraid. You are not on the losing team. You will be given authority. The truth will win in the, in the end. Jesus, I have all the authority, and those who oppose my authority will be crushed in judgment. He's bringing hope. He's bringing encouragement to the church. He also says, I will give them the morning star. In one instance, in one reference in the Bible, Satan is known as the morning star. But Jesus says this, this world might think it has the prettiest and the most beauty, but I will give the overcomers a true morning star. I'll give them judgment and illumination myself. Jesus refers to himself as the bright star of the morning. So what is the reward? Today the reward is Jesus for eternity. The reward is Jesus. And sometimes I think we might go, 
Well, Jesus, yeah, that's good, but what does that all look like? Or in this earth, it may not be the most glamorous thing to be the follower of Jesus. And, and I get this, but you've got to come to a place in your heart that says, you know what? There's that God-shaped hole inside of my heart that I might be trying to fill with all kinds of other things, but at the end of the day, Jesus is the only one that can fill it. And will you be okay, and will you come to a place and go, you know what, Jesus, you are my reward, and you are enough. Jesus plus nothing, amen? It's Jesus. He's the great reward for eternity. So what are our next steps? And in looking at this passage, and looking at this letter to Thyatira, the first part is this. Does Jesus have a place of authority in your life? Is Jesus ruling and reigning in your life? Does he, is he the final just judge in your life that is also kind and loving? Does he have a place of authority? If not, cry out to him. Come to him today. The other piece, maybe you feel a little stale. Maybe you're not, maybe you're not growing in holiness. Maybe you don't like, man, I don't have the same love that I once did. I don't have the faith or the service or that patient endurance. This is what Jesus said they were doing well. We press in, we push into Jesus and grow in holiness. Maybe some of us, we've shrugged off the conviction of the Holy Spirit and we begin to tolerate sin in our life. This is a moment for us to repent. But maybe you're doing all those things. And at the very end of the letter, Jesus makes this statement. He says, we win in the end. And you need to rest in that. Maybe you need to shut off social media. Maybe you need to unfriend some people. I don't know what you need to do. And some of you are like, that's not loving. Well, don't be like this church. Because they were over-loving, and Jesus brings the hammer. But here's the thing. Do you need to remind your soul that Jesus wins in the end? So take heart. He's overcome the world. Can you just rest in that? then maybe I'm not where I want to be, maybe it's not going the way that I thought it would go, but man, I can just take heart and rest in, man, that, God has over, that Jesus has overcome the world. And I'm just going to trust in that, and that's enough, because Jesus is our reward. So this morning, church, we're in one of those four places today. In a room this size, in an auditorium in Ogallala, and in North Platte, and online, there's a lot of us at different places today, but Jesus knows all and sees all. Amen. And he's got eyes to see through. Maybe you want others to see something else, but God knows and sees your true heart. Today, Jesus wants to meet you right where you're at. Jesus has what's best for you. Today, if you're dealing with addictions or sin, God wants to come and set you free. He wants you to leave differently than he came. Not because you heard a good talk, but because of the presence of the Lord is in this place. Amen? Amen. So would you stand with us, church? Jesus, today we love you. We need you. Lord, help us to wrestle with you being a just judge. knowing that you only have what's best for us. God, today if we've beaten ourselves up and we've come in with guilt and shame, today may we receive your love and your kindness today. 
God, today may we come with a repentant heart that says, Jesus, I've disobeyed you. I've let some things come into my life. And I've tolerated it. But I know that it's separating me from you. Jesus, today, would you forgive me? Would you change me today? God, today, may we grow in holiness. Each and every day is a moment for us to grow in holiness with you and for you. Jesus, today, would you fill us with your peace in Jesus' name? And everyone said, amen.